Welcome to the Purposeful Caregiver Podcast. I'm Dr. Emily Riley, an occupational therapist. And I'm Dr. Devin Turnbull, a physical therapist. And we are the owners of Purposefully Home. We provide in-home care to older adults who want to age safely in place, including supporting their caregivers with education and training. We started this podcast when we realized how often families struggle when caring for a loved one and lacked the proper resources to keep them thriving at home. Our goal is to provide you with information that will support and guide you through your current caregiving situation. We'll talk about everything from the limitations of our current healthcare system to safely designing your home for dementia. You'll hear from a variety of expert caregivers and professionals alike about the challenges and joys of caregiving and how they conquered burnout while maintaining a balanced life. We hope that by listening to this podcast, you transform from an overwhelmed, burned out family caregiver into a confident and empowered one. Our mission is to help as many seniors age in place as possible, and we are so happy you are here on the journey with us. Hi, and welcome back to the Purposeful Caregiver Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Emily Riley. I'm an occupational therapist in Scottsdale, Arizona, and co-owner of Purposefully Home, where we provide concierge in-home occupational and physical therapy and caregiver education and training. We are so excited to have you here today. This is a solo episode. So my partner and co-host, Devin Turnbull, is not here with us, but we just wanted to share, we were talking and a common challenge that we see with a lot of the people we serve, our customers, clients, and just conversations that we have is how overwhelming and confusing the healthcare system is. And one of the things that we've developed is a resource for just kind of what we consider common caregiver terminology. And I'm not going to go over a laundry list of terms with you. That would be kind of a boring episode. But what I wanted to highlight is just some considerations because when taking on the role of a caregiver, a lot of times people don't necessarily prepare for that role. A lot of people become a caregiver because of an unexpected incident that has happened, whether it's an accident, new diagnosis, a new onset of an illness or injury. And some of these conditions can be short-term, maybe just a few weeks or a few months, recovering from an orthopedic surgery if you have a knee replacement or maybe torn an ACL in your knee, to more chronic conditions where people are living with these conditions from the time they're diagnosed until late in their older years. And taking on the role of a caregiver can occur to anyone at any stage in their lives. So it may be your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, child, a parent. It doesn't matter what your relationship, what the dynamic or what the role is, but becoming a caregiver is very rarely something that we plan and prepare for. For the people that have that luxury, they still face challenges and barriers and a lot of confusing situations that they have to navigate. So it is a challenge when trying to 
have conversations, trying to figure out not only the management of a condition, but also the the new dynamics of that relationship. So a lot of stress, a lot of tears, and a lot of turmoil can occur when navigating this caregiver role. So today, I just wanted to highlight kind of three considerations to have when taking on the role of a caregiver. Understanding that people don't always have time to prevent the the situations and to kind of plan or maintain these roles and even react. So when you're in the middle of reacting to this big shift in who you are, your identity, and the relationship that you have with this person and becoming a caregiver, you may feel like some of these examples and some of these tips are too little too late. But there are some things that come along with being a caregiver. And one of the most common is that caregiver guilt. And you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and the person's well-being is to the sole responsibility of you, which I am here to tell you that that is not the case. I know you're doing a really great job and you're doing the best you can. And I just want you to fully hear me when I say it is not your sole responsibility to uphold the person you are caring for's life. And I understand that it's a lonely road. Most people don't fully understand. And yes, I do realize that your family may not chip in and your family may not give the time that you give. Your family or your friends may not contribute financially the way that you do. And at the end of the day, it does feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But there are resources and there are some sets of boundaries that you can identify in order to help with your overall well-being. Because we hear it and we don't always believe it but you can't pour from an empty cup. I don't know who coined that term, but it really is so true. And if you're not taking into consideration your needs and you're always putting yourself on the back burner, then in the long run, you're really doing your care recipient a disadvantage because you may be experiencing your own health issues. You may be feeling burned out. And that can certainly impact the quality of the relationship that you have with your care recipient. So as we're going through these things, I just want you to think about your situation and what that looks like for you. Because these are just general suggestions and general areas that are pretty common, whether it's a friend helping in caring for another person, a family member, a spouse, or an adult child you may face these feelings, these frustrations, and these experiences. So the first area that you would want to take into consideration when caring for or taking on the role of caregiver for another person is the financial aspect of that. So depending on the relationship that you have with this person, it can become a very big financial impact to your personal scenario. And I say this because in some situations, 
while you may think that this role will be temporary, so you don't mind taking on a few extra few extra groceries to pick something up for your friend or your neighbor. You may run a few errands or take that person to a few doctor's appointments. But over time, those costs add up. And over time, when a few weeks turn into months and a few months turn into years, you can really add up all the money that you're spending on someone else, on their groceries, on their medications, on their transportation. And there can be limitations. So what you would want to try to do, and of course, this is going to vary depending on the relationship. If this is your spouse or your parent, you obviously have a very different relationship with this person than if it is a friend or an acquaintance that maybe you've you've known through the gym or church or another organization. So your price points or your kind of boundary may be a little bit different depending on that relationship. So what you want to consider is setting up an agreement or a contract and identifying what it is you're willing to give up. What are you willing to provide and what are you willing to contribute? This goes without saying, you do not have to take on the responsibility of financially supporting your care recipient. If you are an unpaid caregiver, this can be difficult because you want to see that person do well. You want to see them recover. You don't want to see them struggle, but it shouldn't be at your own financial hardship. So there are resources that are available. And of course, there are waiting, there are lines or applications, and maybe the timeline doesn't really fit the needs of the individual. If there is a wait list, you may have to wait several months before they qualify for some of these financial resources. So maybe you're deciding in the interim that you're willing to contribute a certain amount of money for their bills, medical bills, household bills. So maybe sit with that person if they're capable of sitting and having a conversation and writing out some of those terms. What do you feel comfortable with whether it's a monthly cost expense that you're willing to support them with, whether it is more of a long-term or a short-term agreement, you'll say for the next three months, I'm willing to help you. But at the three-month mark, then we need to find an alternative service, an alternative option. And within that three months, we need to actively be working together or me on your behalf to find and come up with some of these alternative options because there are limited financial resources available. So you want to be able to identify what you're comfortable with, setting a boundary and a clear expectation for what that looks like. I'm willing to drive two days a week. So if you need to make errands, I am happy to come on this side of town and take you out to go shopping and do some of these different things. But it can only be on these days of the week or these days of the month. So scheduling can be really helpful. So you're not getting a phone call from your care recipient, assuming you're not living with them. If you're just helping them out every single day because they need milk or they need a medication or they forgot to get some additional incontinence pads from the pharmacy, whatever that looks like. And it doesn't always seem like 
a very kind thing to do to set up an agreement or a contract with this person that's your friend or your family member. But money can be really devastating to relationships. And so as the tension builds and some of that animosity can kind of build and frustration, then this allows kind of that level playing field. You and the care recipient have a clear understanding of what that expectation is and what each of your roles within that area is. And if your care recipient isn't capable of having this conversation, then is there another family member that you can have this conversation with? And the caregiver role, the care partner role is not one to be taken lightly. And it certainly is one that is not always valued. So you may hear some very derogatory and very rude comments from people that you consider close relatives, friends, family, siblings even. And there can be a lot of family feuds that come come up. So I definitely don't take these suggestions lightly. And I want you to navigate them within your area of comfort. So my first tip just to recap is to identify what your personal limitations are. And this can be related to money. The example today was related to money, but this could also be related to time. Maybe if you do live with a person or you don't live with a person, you can come up with, you know, after 8 p.m., I am no longer going to perform these tasks. I'll be available for safety and if you need assistance getting to the bathroom, but otherwise, after 8 p.m., I am not doing these types of tasks. Uh, if you don't live with the person, then maybe you won't answer your phone between the hours of 8 and 6 a.m. If you are running out errands, you can say, if you don't contact me by 3 p.m. on my way home from work, I will not be able to get you any of those items until the next day. So think about your time restraints and restrictions and your financial restrictions. And while you may feel like that individual has no other sort like resources, which I do understand in some cases is very well true. If you live in a rural area, if the person is really struggling prior to this onset or prior to your involvement in their situation, then it may be like last straw, last string, last options. And you're trying to do your best to respect what their wishes and what their needs are. But there are social workers, there are case managers that work within the community. And there are organizations that support older adults, seniors, typical adults that may have chronic conditions, illness, or financial hardships that are impacting their ability to maintain stable housing, manage their medical situation. And maybe you are that person to step in. But Once you identify those limits, then you can kind of have some of those external resources. And it may be that that's not option A or option B, that may be last resort options, but they are options. And it is important to start to get some of those things in place. Not that you have to use those services, but at least if the paperwork is set up, the initial contact is made and you kind of have that extension of you and your role, then you know in the event of burnout or if something happens in your own life and you're not able to follow through, 
maybe you've hit that 90 day mark or that one year mark that you've decided I can hold this role for this amount of time. But after that, then we're going to have to find alternative options. So decide what those are and make that known. If you need to post it on your mirror, your refrigerator, put it in your car, email it to yourself or text yourself so that you see it and keep that visible, keep that reminder to you for setting up that agreement. So that way, everybody is kind of aware and getting some of those reminders about what that is. Another area that is often something that comes up when taking on the role of being a caregiver is some of the personal cares. So although you may be married to somebody or a child of an adult, older adult that is going through difficult times or health challenges, and it may be expected that as the oldest child, as the the spouse, as the best friend for 50 years, it may feel like it's expected that you take on these roles, especially of personal cares such as helping somebody to bathe, helping somebody to get dressed or getting on and off the toilet, helping with some of that hygiene or even medication management. Those can be really personal um, areas of care that not everybody is equipped to deal with and manage. And if you've not been in the healthcare field or industry, then maybe that could be really uncomfortable for you. And not fully having close relationship with your now care recipient. There are a lot of care partners that are out there that are ex-spouses, that they have been kind of estranged for several years, family members or friends where the dynamics have just always been tense. And now they're kind of that next of kin to be able to provide this support. So when you are experiencing that, you want to recognize that there is training and support available to either help give you the tools and the resources to maybe feel more confident and comfortable performing those tasks, as long as you're willing. Or there are some additional resources where people can come in to provide some of that care. Certainly, that doesn't always come at a free or no cost option. So there is some financial considerations to take into when exploring some care or respite services. But oftentimes, communities receive grant funding where they are able to support organizations, where they're able to support families and individuals that are experiencing medical hardships, physical hardships, or living with new onset of conditions. So there are national associations and there are state associations that can offer education and support. Now, a lot of information is available on the internet and the resources. So even maybe just looking for a webinar or an online training. Although when you're talking about personal cares, watching a video may not be the full experience and the full lesson that you're looking for. Because in real life, Obviously, physically helping somebody, the circumstances are completely different. In the shower, it's slippery, there's water, there's soap, you know, trying to make sure you're you're helping the person clean all of their parts and feeling comfortable doing so while you're not taking advantage of, you know, feeling really uncomfortable and vulnerable. So you shouldn't feel forced to do those things. And of course, with time, it becomes a little bit more comfortable. But you can also look to 
some of those services. There's the spinal cord injury, uh, the MS Society, Parkinson's Foundation, ALS Association. So there can be some condition-specific areas that you want to look into. And otherwise, there are some agencies where they provide respite care and services and somebody can come into the home and either perform those tasks for you or you may find that you're looking just for some education. So there may be workshops or trainings or maybe those professionals can come in a couple of times to just demonstrate and show you how they would organize, how they would set up the environment and maybe give you some pointers and tips on how to perform some of those tasks. Some really great resources, of course, are nursing assistants, nurses, physical and occupational therapists. And you can look to local communities where they have senior centers or outpatient therapy clinics. Sometimes your care recipient may have a medical condition that would qualify them for physical or occupational therapy services. And if that's the case, then as your role as the caregiver, you could participate with them and kind of learn how to help manage either their transfers, helping them in and out of bed. Maybe they have an arm or a leg that's injured or learning how to better manage that. So some of those could be really good options and ways to learn skills that maybe you didn't have an opportunity to learn um, while the person was in the hospital or the rehab center, or maybe the individual you're helping has just had a steady decline, but hasn't required a medical stay. So you're feeling like they're kind of falling through the cracks. So you can look into some of those uh, community organizations to find the proper um, channel for finding that education and training. One term to look up if you're kind of exploring that option is concierge or mobile practices. There are mobile physicians, nurses, and there are mobile and concierge physical and occupational therapy practices. And basically that means they are able to come directly to your home, whether your home is a private residence, an assisted living, independent living, condo, apartment, they are able to come directly to you. And what's a benefit of that is they can see your space. They're assessing your actual environment. They're using the tools and the resources that you actually have right there. Whereas if you're going to a clinic or going to a workshop or a training, you're using the furniture that they have and you're trying to simulate or explain the way your environment is set up. But if the trainer, the therapist, the nurse is able to come directly into your home, they can look at the lighting. They can look at any fall fall risks. They can look at the furniture and the equipment that you have and either train you on how to use it properly or make recommendations that could help for alternative or additional equipment. Because so often, unfortunately, caregivers have to order online and they're trying to get things delivered in time for the person to come home or for them to move in with them. And they're going frequently back and forth to different stores trying to find the equipment and to get the proper setup. And what happens is it's not the right thing. It doesn't fit. It's too big. It's too small. They don't know how to set it up. And then it just ends up in a closet or the garage. So looking for somebody to kind of come into your space and do that training can be really invaluable to your role as a caregiver. 
and really help um, make some of those different care tasks uh, a lot easier. And then the third area that people tend to struggle with is just general communication. There are a lot of challenges in everyday communication that we have within our relationships. And so when you take on the role of caregiver, you are maybe trying to communicate not only with your care recipient, but you're trying to communicate with family members and friends that are maybe texting, calling, checking in, emailing to say, hey, how are things going? You're the one that's responsible for scheduling appointments and contacting providers to better understand what the condition is, maybe symptoms, side effects, medical care, if there's any follow-up care. There can be a lot of different areas that you are trying to become an expert in. There's language that maybe you've never heard in your life that you're trying to understand and scratch down notes and then later look up and do some research and review all the information that some of the different providers may be giving you. And you don't need to become an expert in nursing and in being a doctor and in caregiving, but it can feel like you need to because how are you going to advocate for your care recipient? How are you going to understand kind of the the trajectory of this situation and of this role if you're not well-versed in some of the different areas? So communication can be really important. And as a caregiver, it is okay to say that you don't know. And it's okay to say that you don't understand what they're explaining and if they could explain it differently. When sleep is impacted as a caregiver, you're probably getting very little sleep. If you're trying to still juggle your own life and your own family and your own job, trying to balance all of those different areas is not going to be easy. And it's not going to be something that you're able to do for the duration. So when those things are challenged, it's going to give you a lower threshold for tolerating some of these different circumstances that can come up. So when you're feeling stressed and and overwhelmed about not fully understanding or trying to cope with this situation, communication can be really difficult. So Finding some of those key phrases of, I don't fully understand, is there a different way that you could explain it to me? Or, okay, that seems a little bit over my head. What does it mean for us, for our situation? Okay, I understand what you're trying to say, but I don't know that I can answer that right now. Let me take some time to process. Let me take some time to to do my own research and I can get back to you. So finding some key phrases where you can kind of take a step back and either process the information that you've heard or find another way to do a little bit more research. And of course, finding information and finding ways to communicate with your care recipient. So often family members, spouses, or adult children to aging parents or people that have undergone kind of these new onsets of illness will say, I just need somebody to come in because they don't listen to me. I tell them they have to use their walker. I tell them they have to do their exercises. I tell them these things and they won't listen because the dynamics can be challenged and can be tense. And so while you are the care recipient, you tend to take the brunt of those feelings and those difficult experiences and expressions of trying to cope with what's happening. Um, Maybe the person was uh, very successful throughout their career and they intended to spend their retirement years traveling 
and playing golf or playing, you know, participating with some sort of a leisure activity and not feeling sick and feeling homebound and being stuck and isolated. And so that personal self frustrations and maybe pity and depression can really come out as lashing out towards the care recipient. So finding ways to communicate. It's hard to say I'm sorry, especially if you don't feel like you're wrong, but I'm sorry can go a long way. So in a lot of circumstances, following up with, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to respond that way. How can we, because we're a team, how can we work together? How can we address this problem? I understand that you have this experience. I I understand that you have this challenge. What can we do? What can I do to, to help? We can't always fix the problems, but as the caregiver, the primary caregiver, or even a secondary caregiver, there are just so many emotional challenges that we're trying to deal with that can kind of come up unexpectedly while we're taking on this new role of a caregiver. So finding some key phrases in communication can help. Definitely making a plan, having things written down. So finding a way that works for you and your situation, whether it is a whiteboard, you can see got a little one uh, back there. Um, If you're watching, there's a whiteboard, you can use a planner, you can use paper notes or a notebook. This day and age, there's technology. So there are a lot of free apps that allow people to access information. So um, maybe it's people that are out of state feeling disconnected and they want to know what's going on. So you can download an app where it allows you to type in questions. You can share information. You can share files, videos, pictures. Um, You want to be mindful of the type of information that you're sharing because not all apps are privacy friendly. So if you are sharing any kind of private medical information or personal information, you want to make sure that the app that you're downloading or the software that you're using is HIPAA compliant. So finding a way that works for you to track appointments, track medication, track conversations if you need to. You know, you find that when you become a caregiver, you do take on so many different roles and put on so many different hats to ensure that your loved one, your care recipient is receiving the best quality care that you can provide. But at the end of the day, you do want to make sure that you are taking care of yourself and finding some of those resources, not Many people want to leave their home and go to a group home or an assisted living community or a long-term care community. They definitely can have a lot of bad reputation within different areas, but there are plenty of care providers out there that do offer really great quality care. And so partnering with a case manager or social worker in your community can really help to identify some different things to look for, different questions to ask. Because when you become feeling like you're at the end of your rope and you can no longer provide this type of in-home care, you may want to explore some of those options. Even if it is that plan B, C, or D, that last resort plan, but it's important to make sure that your well-being is their well-being and their well-being is really going to put them in a place where their need, their basic needs are met and they're safe and they're feeling 
like they can participate and engage in each and every day. So those are just a few tips. I know we talked about some key terms and there is so many that are presented in any given day, especially as a caregiver. So if you would like a working definition of some common key terms, then you can just send us an email or visit our website and put in your request for caregiver key terms and you will get your PDF download of those common terms. And that can hopefully help you to feel a little bit better about some of these different areas that you're trying to navigate. So if you have any questions, as always, feel free to give us a shout. Um, If you enjoyed kind of these quick three tips, then please like and review. If you know somebody that could benefit from hearing these tips, then go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, we will be back talking about different tips, advice, and sharing highlights of what it means to be a purposeful caregiver. Thank you for tuning into the Purposeful Caregiver podcast. We know you have a limited amount of time as a family caregiver and appreciate you choosing to spend it with us. We would love to have you join our community, the Purposeful Caregiver Facebook group. Be sure to also sign up for our email list at purposefullyhome.com so you never miss an episode and have access to get to know us a little bit better. Lastly, stay tuned as we will be announcing the launch of our virtual caregiver workshops where you will transform from an overwhelmed and burned out caregiver into a confident, empowered one. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. See you on the next episode of The Purposeful Caregiver.